one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome here. Good to have you here with us on this uh, virtual meeting again. Thank you to those who are in the Eastern time zone and woke up early to uh, be part of this. And if you're uh, west of the Eastern time zone, then then uh, good for you for waking up even earlier than some of us. And those of you who join us from different parts of the world for this uh, talk, uh, we, uh, we're really glad to have you part of this. And uh, yeah, so this morning, I'm thinking we're about to feast on another entree of insights into our continu continued theme of uh, sacred writings. And uh, we have uh, Brother Stephen Russell on here to, uh, to give us this talk, and uh, I'm uh, looking forward to it. So yeah, it's been thrilling to be part of the team here at S2S and see God at work and blessing those who share and seeing their effort go forth and bless uh, literally thousands of listeners. This group had a humble uh, beginning about three years ago, and it has really grown in the size of audience and places that it, that it reaches and uh, people uh, listen from. So we're humbled that to think that possibly some of our combined efforts here um, with uh, those of us on the team uh, lining these things up and the people who uh, take the time to come and speak, uh, we're humbled that that effort can uh, help some souls find truths that would help them in their walk with Jesus. And uh, we're excited to be part of that. So I've met our brother this morning. Um, once he spoke at our church about uh, four years ago, I think that is, and uh, he talked he talked on one of his favorite subjects, overcoming evil God's way. He has a book on it, and so um, yeah, we may have to get you on um, to talk more about that sometime. Uh, that's one of my favorite uh, subjects as well. So welcome to this platform this morning, Stephen, and we're excited to hear from you on this topic. So I'll start this off here with a word of prayer, mm -hmm. and then uh, I'll turn it over to you. You can begin it by uh, giving us at least a brief introduction about yourself, and then it's all yours for the next 40 to 60 minutes. Once you're uh, finished with your talk, we'll open the floor for comments and questions from the audience. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity again this morning to gather as fellow believers, as fellow followers of you, to uh, meet and uh, discuss these things. We thank you for our brother Stephen this morning for coming on and uh, sharing um, about this uh, subject before us, answering the skeptics. Lord, help us to have a heart of love and a heart of patience to reach all mankind and to discuss openly and discuss in a humble way the uh, the beliefs that we have about you and, and your and your book that you have left us that you have given to us that guides us in our thinking about you and in our knowledge about what you have done in the past. So give our brother uh, strength and grace as he shares with us this morning and help each one of us as an audience to listen well and to learn what we can and uh, may it be an aid in our uh, walk with you that we can be faithful uh, witnesses, ambassadors for you 
uh, on the face of this earth, that we can bring a little piece of heaven to this uh, fallen earth while we are called to to live here. We uh, ask your blessing on this uh, meeting this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right, brother, go for it. Okay. Well, um, my name is Steve Russell, as you've heard, and I teach at Faith Builders. I've been here 23 years and uh, teach mostly um, history and Bible and theology. And it's a delight to work with young people here. Um, a little bit, bit of background. I was raised Catholic. And when I uh, decisively gave my life to the Lord, um, one of the things that he made very clear to me was that um, God, that he doesn't want us uh, Christians killing people. And so that started me on a path of, of uh, learning about non-resistance and, and eventually becoming an Anabaptist. So um, that's, that's how I got to be where I am. Uh, I'm going to be uh, working off of notes that from a talk that I gave at um, uh, a, a club meeting, I think you could say, at uh, Penn State in State College. And so my talk about the scriptures isn't uh, what I would call polemical. I, I'm not going to try to, um, uh, so to speak, argue uh, with someone about um, uh, or debate with someone about uh, why we should uh, believe the scriptures. But rather, I want to um, look at the scriptures, what God has given us and see how it uh, meets a natural need that we have, something that all of us have. And so um, when I think about uh, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, all of us have this, uh, this inner desire to understand the word better, world better, and to um, understand ourselves better. And whether, whether you're, um, uh, whether you're a, uh, a person that has a religious belief, or whether you're a non-believer, uh, whether you're literate or non-literate, everyone is searching for truth trying wants to know what what is real for the non-literate people they they have myths and stories they tell uh in the mediterranean world where christianity arose the uh, greeks and the romans they had uh myths and some of them were written and when when uh often when you have uh when a people have something written about uh their their desire to understand themselves in the world it's often called scripture and uh, sometimes there are organized religions that have written scriptures. Uh, one would be the uh, ancient Persian religion, Zoroastrianism. They had their own set of scriptures. And so, um, you know, and, and, well, and even as we think about the modern world, uh, the secularists, the materialists, they, they may not have scripture. They don't have scripture, but they also are trying to understand the world. And they often do have something written. Uh, so if they're Marxist uh, or Darwinists or Freudians, they, there's something that they have that they look to, to at least get them started thinking about what's, what's reality, what's going on in this, in this world here. So my main point is that man is a creature that is captivated by the wonder of the world that we live in and that we're seeking to understand it and to uh, make ourselves a worldview and God made us this way. So I think almost everyone has this, this, uh, this uh, desire for knowledge. And most of us are seekers after understanding our own interior lives and looking into the, the world around us and trying to understand us, understand it. And um, 
what we're doing, it's it's basically uh, what what we Christians are doing is what Christ, humans have done throughout history, trying to understand either telling stories to each other or writing things down uh, and saying, you know, this helps us understand. So, um, you know, I'm not uh, saying that because of this, we, uh, I can prove to you that scripture, our scripture is um, is special. Uh, I, I'm actually saying there's something about what we humans are that uh, scripture meets. And sometimes other religions do have scriptures. But um, so there's three approaches, generally speaking, to scripture. Um, some is basically man's thought about the world as he looks at it and marvels at it. And I think uh, Buddhism would be a good example here. They have much written down that they look at, um, and it's basically man's thoughts about the world. There are other uh, groups that believe that God has given us direct revelation uh, and so that we can understand things that are outside our own natural understanding. And Islam would be an example of this. So the Muslims would look at uh, the Quran and they would see it as directly coming down from God. Uh, we Christians actually, in a way, bring both of these together. So scripture has, it often has uh, uh, parts that are from um, man's own meditation, but then of course, uh, um, uh, it's also got uh, direct um, witness from God about what he wants us to know and understand. Uh, Christianity has uh, both the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures that came after the time of Jesus. And what we claim uh, is that there is this transcendent God who has created everything, made us in his image, and he wants to redeem the world uh, and turn it back to him. And so uh, the scriptures that we have tell us about, they tell us God's story and how he has interacted with us. And one of the unique things about Christian uh, literature, uh, scripture, is that it says God has entered the world actively. Uh, he's done this many times. Sometimes he came in uh, and uh, helped his people, as in the Old Testament, let's say, with the um, uh, exodus from Egypt. And most uh, importantly, he came uh, as one of us. And uh, that's the central piece that the New Testament talks about, that God became a human lived us with us, lived a human life with us, and um, uh, left us, uh, well, he did what we needed to be saved, and then left us a record about how to um, follow him. So anyway, first I want to talk about the Old Testament. So there's this thing that we all have. We have this yearning to understand the world around us and our own interior life, um, and many, many people have some kind of written scripture. So I want to talk about our scripture and uh, try to make sense out of it that it actually, more than any other, reaches this need that we have. The Old Testament is uh, a, a set of books. The Jews put them together and count them as 24. We count them as 39. And uh, this was the Bible Jesus had. And uh, in the New Testament, you'll see it sometimes referred to as the Law and the Prophets, sometimes the Law, the Prophets, and uh, the Psalms or the writings. And um, almost every book in the in the Old Testament is referenced in some way in the New Testament. Uh, I think there might be one. I think the Song of Solomon is not referenced 
in the New Testament. But other than that, they all are. Uh, it was recognized as scripture by the Jewish people as God. It was God's word. And uh, they actually, um, as they wrote it, they actually put it in special places. It's recorded that it was uh, placed in the ark or that it was placed in the tabernacle once that was um, uh, part of the Jewish worship. And later on, when the Jews built a temple, um, outside history, non-biblical history tells us that uh, a copy of the uh, Torah was held there as the exemplar to be copied for the Torah um, that was found elsewhere in the, uh, in the Jewish nation. Um, scripture, uh, Hebrew scripture sometimes is are a record of the words that God uttered, and sometimes it's a record of a vision of God, and sometimes it's a record of um, how God has inspired a, per a particular person as he's contemplated uh, this, this God that is above us. And so all of these ways, in all these ways, scripture shows us uh, who God is and what he's done for us. Um, what what unites these books? You know, these books were written over a large, a long period of time, a thousand years approximately from 1400 uh, BC to about 400 BC. In some places, uh, it says directly, God, uh, thus saith the Lord. In other places, we have someone telling us, um, not, not, not necessarily quoting what God said, but uh, telling us how he has experienced God and how he understands God because of the things God has done uh, either in his life or in the life of the people of Israel. And so it's a collection uh, of, of many things, histories, songs, stories, uh, sayings, a lot of things like that. Uh, but in all of these things, God's spirit works through this people, the Jewish people, to establish and preserve the word that of, of uh, hope that he gives to the whole world eventually. Um, it's interesting, the Old Testament has probably over 30 authors, and yet it's got this consistent thrust, a consistent storyline. And, and the reason is there's a divine author behind, behind this. We don't know how it came to be. I mean, that's not recorded. Well, some in some cases it is when, when God spoke directly, or in some places it does say uh, that it was written uh, down. But how God worked uh, to, to get these ideas into men's heads, we don't fully understand that. Um, it's not necessary that we do. It's clearly, um, from our perspective anyway, it's clearly uh, superintended by God, uh, uh, the things that are given to us. Now, as I talk about this, I want to uh, follow something that um, is said. It's, it's in uh, uh, Peter's writing, and it's uh, in chapter, it's the in, First Peter chapter three, verses eight through 13. I wanna read that because this, I think gives us a sense of how when we um, are either looking at the scriptures for ourselves or when we're sharing with someone and want them to be open to them, I think it gives us a good sense of how we should approach this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love your brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to, to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Four, and then he quotes some scripture from the Old Testament. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. 
for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of, of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eagle, ever, eagle, uh, eager to do good? Not even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the, un for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So as we think about the Old Testament, the New Testament, and how we uh, presented to others, I think we should operate out of a sense that um, uh, we are a, a community that is seeking peace, that we're seeking to flourish the way God wants us to. We're seeking to, a blessing for both ourselves and others. And as a community, we need to avoid evil and insult against others and deceit. We need to be eager to do good and to recognize Jesus as Lord and act on this truth. And we need to be gentle, respectful, willing to suffer rather than cause suffering. When we approach, a part of helping others see that the scriptures actually meet this desire that we have that's inherent to us, we need to be a certain kind of people who um, will draw people to this particular um, message that comes from God. So quick, what is, quickly, what is the Old Testament? Um, the Old Testament is a is a story about it's God's story, and it shows us how He has created all things and that they are good. Uh, he He created out of the desire to share the love that's inherent in Him as Trinity. He's placed us humans, male and female, made in His image, in this world to be the pinnacle of His creation. Uh, such an honor, uh, you know. And, and when we can help someone see this, uh, that that God is has given us the honor of making us in His image, it can. Um, I think it can help people who sometimes uh, have a wrong understanding of us Christians and see us as um, looking down on others and not uh, respecting. Uh, other people, well, we're all made in God's image. And if anyone should respect people, it is us Christians. And anyway, um, we are, we are this, we humans are this very uh, unique creature that brings together both the spiritual and the physical aspect of creation. And uh, that's a, a, also a unique and wonderful gift that God's given us. He's given us free will. And I think that was necessary because only as humans are able to give themselves freely, are they able to love? And that was the reason God uh, created, was so that he could love us and we could love him back. It's interesting, he gave us uh, two laws at the beginning. One was explicit, uh, don't eat from this tree. And another one was implicit. When he gave Adam Eve, uh, the implicit law was that these two were for each other and for no one else. And it, it uh, it's, it's, it's a necessary thing that, to have uh, some kind of law for us to be able to exercise our free will. These laws weren't um, arbitrary. They actually were uh, inherent in the kind of uh, creature that we were made to be. But unfortunately, 
Uh, we don't understand uh, why, but uh, God's highest creature uh, or most beautiful creature that he ever made, apparently, the uh, Satan, somehow had fallen and he tries to bring this new aspect of creation to fall as well. He um, causes Adam and Eve to distrust God. Um, they fell and we have our present situation, which is crippled by sin. Um, God allows us to, and we see this in the Old Testament, he allows us to experience the full magnitude of our rebellion so that we understand what we did, the catastrophe that we brought on ourselves. But then after that, God begins to work in the world in a, in a new way. He, uh, through Adam, he um, brings us, uh, he, he, he um, brings uh, a new way of working by um, working with this one person and trying to create and creating a uh, people from him and showing all the world that what matters is our response to God in faith. Adam, I mean, uh, Abraham was not a hero. He grows from partial obedience to uh, immediate full obedience over uh, his lifetime. And there are a lot of ups and downs in this story. Uh, and it's kind of uh, exciting because it shows us that God works with us, even as we stumble and don't always do what he wants. Um, God works with his people. He brings them out of slavery, uh, forms them as a nation be, by giving them the law and also uh, protecting them. But these people were stubborn often and disobedient and often God had to wound Israel in order to heal Israel. That's a, um, a concept that keeps uh, coming up in the old Testament. Um, and it's really interesting. Uh, finally, his, his greatest uh, punishment or striking of Israel to heal them is the exile. And in the exile, Israel changes uh, in very large ways. Israel um, starts to have a new attitude towards non-Jews. Uh, Israel becomes uh, able to have a deeper understanding of the law because in the exile, they started to uh, worship God in the synagogue and read his word and talk about it and see how it's supposed to apply in each person's lives. Um, and through this, Israel eventually becomes a beacon to the nations, a blessing to the nations, which was God's original intent. And then finally, once uh, once uh, God had shaped them the way that he wanted them to be, then he could send the Messiah. In Galatians chapter 4, it says that um, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of son. So that is to say, at, after he had uh, gotten Israel to be the kind of people uh, that he wanted them to be, then the Messiah could be sent where we get God's final word. Uh, the Messiah is actually the word of God, the second person of the Trinity come in the flesh so that we can understand and receive uh, the fullness of what God has for us. Forgiveness for the sins that we um, have committed, reconciliation, a, a reformation of our friendship with God and the restoration eventually of, of mankind. So, um, why why should I believe this story? That's that's a quick rundown of the story of the Old Testament and how it leads into the New. Um, it has the ring of truth. This the the Old Testament. As as I as I'm talking to a a person who's perhaps not a believer, um, I, so I want him to see that all of us have this desire to understand the world better. Many of us have some kind of written form to 
try to understand that better. And um, so why should I even be open to this story, which I've just kind of run down quickly. Um, for one thing, the, the uh, Old Testament has a ring of truth. It shows us a God who is patient and loving, but also righteous and just. And um, it shows us a God who wants to make us uh, fully into the image of God, fully into the image of his son, Jesus, uh, eventually. Uh, it's a story that is completely honest. Um, when you look at uh, the writings the, in the, um, from, the old, uh, from the ancient world, that when you look at religious writings, one of the things, or even just historical writings that they wrote back then, um, what you see is uh, usually an attempt to just tell the story in a way that shows, um, shows a good light on the writers. The, in this story, um, all the characters are, are seen as they are, with warts and all. And um, sometimes the Gentiles, uh, who were not God's people back then, are shown as more righteous than God's own people. It's an amazing story. Um, it's, it's, it's telling us what we really are like. It also tells us about how God works with people where they are. Um, he doesn't, uh, he, he takes us and, uh, and is patient. Uh, the story of Abraham just is wonderful, uh, where we have a man who partially obeys God and eventually comes to the place where he fully obeys, as I mentioned earlier. And then sometimes God has to strike the people to heal them. Uh, they, they have to go into slavery in Egypt. They're taken into the Babylonian exile. Um, and then he also deals with the suffering in the lives of individuals like Job and Jeremiah. And eventually, of course, uh, in the New Testament, we see uh, God's people living under Roman rule. But in all of those cases, God is working with those people and, and um, trying to help and helping them to see that uh, what he really expects and also to understand how they can receive from him what they need. They, they need grace. Um, to to uh, become the kind of people that God wants them to be. The Old Testament answers the heart cry and need that we have. Um, it's interesting. Um, God has made us in his image, and all of us want to uh, to fill, fulfill a need in the world. To, you could actually say to have a great name. And it's interesting. Uh, that's what exactly what God offers Abraham and those that come after him a great name. It's not because of what I do on my own, but it's because of how God works in the lives of the people that he has called. And um, so, you know, God shows us our limitations, but he also gives us what we need to be rescued. And so it's a very, very um, interesting and real uh, story uh, that shows that, that, that speaks to people's hearts, that helps them understand that um, there is a God who has done what they need. Uh, we find a God in the Old Testament who's worthy of our heart's desire to praise and worship. So anyway, as, God, um, as God's people's, people grow, he gives them more and more of his plan. This, this, uh, this, uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament were given over a span of time. And as people grew, God gave them more and more so that they could understand and live better. So um, th there's a uh, so as we learn more about God, um, he he does remain mysterious and he always will be. And in fact, he may become more mysterious the more we learn about him. He is, after all, the transcendent one, the one who is fa far above what we are. So 
I hope that as we uh, learn from the Old Testament, we discover this God who works with people and he works with them where they are. And then he brings them to a place where they can um, even be more what he expects and wants out of them. There is a Christian writer. I, I have this written down somewhere. I don't know uh, who wrote this. It might be um, Willard. I'm not quite sure, but uh, he. Th- this I have a quote that I unfortunately forgot to write who had uh, said this, but wisdom is a humble yet confident attunement to the order of reality that gives both delight and competence. The wise man is humble, recognizing that he stands on the shoulder of giants, but also genuinely confident because he has come to possess the truth through hard-won personal encounter rather than um, merely receiving it secondhand. Now, this happens as we um, open our lives to the God that we see in both the Old and New Testament. And as we uh, talk to him, as we open our lives to his grace, we can become the kind of person, the wise man who actually understands what's going on in the interior of his own life and what um, and, and what is happening in the world around him as God works with us. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the New Testament. And, um, you know, it's basically a um, what I said about the Old Testament is true about the new. Uh, it's God at work sometimes directly telling us uh, the, what he wants us to hear directly. Sometimes it's um, uh, the thoughts of his people as they have contemplated the works of God in their own lives and in the lives of God's people. And they write uh, write down, write that down. It's also interesting in both the Old and New Testament, there are places where non-Christians or non uh, people that aren't God's uh, own people, um, sometimes they're quoted both in the Old Testament and the New. Uh, truth is truth. And so in the Old Testament, uh, you can see some places where um, some uh, uh, sayings from non-Jewish people are recorded. In the New Testament, there's actually a couple of uh, quotes from pagan poets. Uh, Paul wants, a, and Paul does, I think, all three of those, and he's trying to get his people, uh, the people he's talking to, to hear what he is saying um, about this God who is revealed in the Old and New Testament. But he, he wants them to see that um, even their own poets have yearned for this, uh, that the thing that he's talking about. And I think that's a good thing for us to think about as we talk to someone about this God and what he's shown us through the scriptures, that um, it's not saying that there's nobody out there who, who isn't a Christian who hasn't had a sense of um, a yearning for the same things and a sense, at least in general, of, of how to move ahead to seek out this this um, this one that is over us uh, and and that has made the whole the world and has made us um, there are uh, some differences uh, with the uh, between the Old Testament and the new the Old Testament over a span of a thousand years the New Testament was written um, over a span of only about 40 or 50 years um, the Old Testament had about 30 writers. The, the New Testament may have had fewer than a third of that number. We're not 100% sure uh, whether it was 10 writers or maybe a few less than that. Um, the Old Testament shows us God's will progressively revealed as we get the ability to grasp it better and better. So some examples uh, in the Old Testament, we see um, uh, uh, there's a developed understanding of divorce. 
it's allowed in, uh, in the law, but we see in uh, Malachi that God says very clearly, this is not what I want. Um, there's, a, the, there's a change in the attitude towards non-Jews. Uh, the exile and um, some, of the, some of the minor prophets help, us under, help his people understand that he cared about everyone. And there was an attitude uh, uh, towards revenge that also is changed in the Old Testament and made very clear in the New. Uh, in the Old Testament, the law of revenge was allowed. <clears throat> but even in the Old Testament, God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And of course, in the New Testament, we hear from Jesus that we are to be willing to actually lay down our lives rather than seek uh, vengeance. Um, the key thing about the New Testament is its, its focus is Jesus his life and his teaching. And he is the ultimate revelation of, of God to mankind. And if we can help a, uh, an, an unbeliever uh, start to recognize that God has actually come down here as one of us to, to make it very clear um, who we are and what he expects of us and how he wants to change us and um, uh, improve our lives, that's going to draw people. Uh, there's no way that it, it, it uh, well, if people hear, um, the wrong things about the uh, Christians or if they experience Christians who are not uh, the way are living their lives the way first Peter described to be uh, this people that is winsome and and uh, bring and uh, uh, wooing people to the Lord if they haven't if they've experienced something different than that it may be more difficult but once somebody actually opens up to uh, to who this man Jesus is um, it's almost impossible for them not to be drawn to him because his life, his death, his resurrection, that's the pinnacle of God's work for us. Uh, Jesus lived the, the only truly full human life and he, he died for us so that our sins could be taken away. He rose again to give us access to the divine life through himself and um, his life and the lives of his disciples, they're models for us. G um, Paul says, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ is our model, but we also have models in the brothers and sisters around us uh, to, to know how to live in this world. Um, Jesus ascended into heaven, but before he did that, he left his disciples a clear teaching. He had taught them during his lifetime. They often didn't understand that. After the resurrection, they were still uncertain, but um, in that time between the resurrection and the ascension in Luke, it says that Jesus taught them and he opened their minds to the scriptures so that they could actually understand what his ministry had been. They could understand how to understand the Old Testament. They didn't um, always see how that was pointing to him. And he helped them to see that. And he, and he gave them a proclamation. Uh, it's called, uh, sometimes we call it the kerygma, which is simply the Greek word for um, for proclamation. And that proclamation is what eventually gets crystallized into the New Testament, written down. Uh, but if, but originally, you know, they had it only as um, uh, the, the, the proclamation of what Jesus has done for us. They only had that in a verbal form. Um, the New Testament is 27 books. Uh, it, interestingly, it's accepted. Those are the 27 books are are accepted by all Orthodox uh, Christians. And uh, there, there are some groups that are uh, heretical, like the Mormons that have more books uh, than that. But anyway, uh, the true Christians have these 27 books that 
record the ministry of Christ, his, uh, his life, his ministry, um, the, the early uh, history of the church, and uh, letters from various uh, um, disciples of Jesus, and an interesting book, Hebrews, which seems to be a, maybe the only uh, philosophical uh, book in the New Testament. And then this book about um, the, the uh, it's an apocalyptic portrayal of how God works in the world, uh, in human history, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So all of these are, are given to us and they show us that the capstone, the, the finishing aspect of God's work is Jesus. And um, so anyway, uh, there, um, let's see, what do I want to talk about here now? Uh, I think I want to move on from some, I'm looking at some notes. Oh, I do want to talk a little bit about how we came to have this New Testament. Um, we At first, the church didn't, for the first 20 years, the church had no written New Testament. Its Bible was Jesus' Bible, the Old Testament. But as uh, books were written by uh, the disciples and uh, uh, and they, they were spread, they were um, copied and spread throughout the church. Uh, there, at first, though, there wasn't a definite understanding about what um, should be read, wh which of these new books are actually God's word. There was, um, there were three factors that caused the church to think about this. And I think that um, God moved in the church. There was a uh, man named Marcion, whose father was a Christian, and he would have said, too, that he was a Christian, but he rejected um, some of the biblical ideas. He came to believe uh, that there were two gods, the good God, the father of Jesus, who was a, a merciful God and a, and a wrathful God, the God of the Old Testament, who was a lawmaker and vengeful and had created the physical world, which Marcion saw as evil. And Marcion... Um, was the first person, as far as we know, to say that these are the new books, the books that are written by the disciples that are to be understood as God's word for us. And because he rejected creation and uh, because he rejected the law and saw God of the Old Testament as vengeful, vengeful, he rejected completely the Old Testament and he rejected most of the New Testament. He only accepted Luke and the writings of Paul. And even there, he cut out whatever was uh um, qu any quotes from the Old Testament, he cut out in the uh, in the Gospel of Luke. He cut out the birth narrative because um, he felt the physical world was bad, and he thought that birth was a bad thing. So Jesus wasn't actually born, and so his whole gospel, his whole approach um, would have completely changed how uh, people thought about uh, God. Uh, there was another challenge, which is uh, Gnosticism. Now, Marcion was a kind of Gnostic. There were other Gnostics who, as I uh, mentioned about uh, Marcion, rejected the, evil, uh, the physical world as evil. And so the Gnostics who wanted to be seen as Christians um, had an elaborate um, understanding of the, the world as mostly or the good part of the world was these uh, spiritual entities and the physical world was uh, bad and salvation was learning how to get out of the physical world. Um, and and uh, it's, it, when, the New Old, when the New Testament talked about resurrection, the Gnostics saw that simply as um, spiritual. And that would have also completely changed how, uh, if that would have been allowed or accepted, it was the church 
realized these two things were challenges. There was a, another challenge that was not um, heretical, but there was a man named Montanus who uh, wanted a new word from God every day. And so he, he emphasized uh, prophecy and the prophecy, especially of himself and two um, uh, prophetesses that were part of his group. And the problem here is that he down, he didn't disagree. He wasn't um, heretical in his attack. He didn't attack doctrines that the church believed, but he wanted this ongoing uh, revelation that would never end and would have made um, previous re um, revelation, um, probably it would have set it aside. And because of this, the church actually um, had to think about and delimit what is the New Testament. And uh, it took some years. It wasn't an easy process, but eventually uh, thinking about what, what the, whether the books, what their authorship was and what their message was, uh, the, the early church came to a, a decision that um, these are the uh, books of the scripture of the New Testament, which we still um, we still hold to. And um, anyway, I could tell you some stories on that, but I think because of time, I'm going to uh, move ahead and uh, talk just a bit about the New Testament and, and then um, how this uh, how I see this uh, um, how I see this as something that we should try to help people. Uh, understand as the thing that will really uh, meet the the yearning they have. The New Testament is a continuation of the old. Um, it the the New Testament relies on the Old Testament so that we get an understanding of Jesus. And um, there are extensive quotes from the Old Testament. Uh, they show us how Jesus fulfills uh, what was said. Uh, in the Old Testament was going to happen. In the Old Testament, the story of Abraham is central. Uh, God formed his people through uh, working with this one man. He's also central to the New Testament. Um, Jesus fulfills and enables us to experience the full blessing that God wanted to bring the world through Abraham. Um, there are some, it, it, ampl it amplifies the uh, Old Testament. Um, the Jews were expecting a Messiah, and they expected the Messiah to help them see areas that they didn't understand. Uh, an interesting story um, is uh, the, the, the second temple had been um, desecrated by uh, some pagans. Uh, this is recorded in 1 Maccabees, not a book in the Old Testament, but it's a historical book that is really good to read. Uh, sometimes we say that it's part of the Apocrypha. But anyway, in this story, um, the Jews recapture the Jerusalem and the temple, and they they, they um, wonder what should they do with the the, alt, the stones of the altar or the altar um, which had been used to worship God. But then, when the uh, pagans took over, they they offered pagan sacrifices, and what they decided was they tore down the the altar because it had been desecrated, but they but it had also been used in a good way. So they stored those stones in a room in the temple until the Messiah would come and tell them what to do. They, they expected the Messiah to bring the fullness of God's revelation to them and to help them out with, with things they didn't know about, you know, how to, how to uh, uh, do the right thing. And this is just one little example. Now, when Jesus came, those stones were still in that room in the temple. He didn't take any notice of that. But 
I'm, I'm just simply saying the Jews knew that, that there was more to the story. They didn't get it fully, and they were looking for the Messiah to, to help them understand. That's one reason Jesus gave uh, uh, um, the Sermon on the Mount. He, uh, he said there, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you. And so he, he didn't contradict the Old Testament, but he, um, he showed how it, he fulfills it perfectly and how his people in the New Testament will more fully understand what God's will was. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, the New Testament shows us that Jesus came uh, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. There's the virgin birth. Um, there is the predicted coming uh, of this ruler to Bethlehem. Uh, there's a, uh, the Christians understood the flight of Jesus and his family to Egypt as um, a fulfillment of uh, a passage in the Old Testament. John the Baptist was predicted. Jesus mostly preached in Galilee. And there's a, a beautiful passage about light, about light coming to the Gentiles uh, in Galilee. And uh, thinking of that, there's uh, the fulfillment of uh, Isaiah 53 by Jesus and just so many other ways uh, that the Old Testament is fulfilled in the new. Um, there are miracles in the Old Testament. There are two particular periods of miracle, Exodus and the time of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, God did uh, worked most of his miracles when he wanted his people to see that he was doing something new. And the old, uh, the New Testament is very similar to that. Jesus comes. He is the pinnacle of God's work among the, us humans. And there are a lot of miracles there to, to make people um, recognize God's doing something special right now. And um, there, are, there are a whole lot of things that uh, are foreshadowed in the Old Testament, the things that I've just mentioned, uh, but the fact that a Messiah was coming, there's going to be a Davidic king, and Moses promised that there would be a prophet who would um, be like him. So all these things, uh, if, uh, if, if you have any... Um, inkling that the Old Testament is telling us about how God works in the world. The New Testament is, is uh, claiming that it is the fulfillment of that. Um, and let's see. Uh, so I want to go really quick. Uh, I better do this very quickly. Uh, what is the story of the, old, the New Testament. Uh, God, the Old Testament was God preparing the people so that this Messiah could come. And then uh, in the New Testament, we see um, the first thing is that that uh, God. we see that God has um, set the world up for the coming of the Messiah. He sent a predecessor to the Messiah, John the Baptist. Um, he had people, Anna and Simeon, in the temple who... Um, who were able to point to Jesus. Um, there were other, many other events, uh, some of which I've already mentioned, the virgin birth, the flight to Egypt, um, that, that signal to people, this, this person is very special. And uh, the Jews were looking for the kingdom of God, and Jesus proclaimed, that's his main proclamation, the kingdom of God is now among you, it's, it's near you. So um, Jesus uh, uh, his ministry is very important because he teaches God's heart. There are some things in the Old Testament that don't really show us God's heart. God um, allowed and sometimes even commanded war in the Old Testament. He, now he tells us that he, he, he wants a people who are willing to lay their lives down rather than to fight. He wants a people that rather than getting divorced, 
will um, will fulfill the vows that they make. Um, he he uh, in his ministry he uh, practiced miracles, and it made his own disciples and the people that saw these say, "Who is this? This is this is something very unique." He made claims about himself. I am. This was a claim to be divine, and uh, and uh, it it had to shake a Jewish person that to hear someone claim that I am God come in the flesh. Uh, he said it very carefully. Uh, it wasn't time for his ministry to be ended then, but um, or for him to give his life up. But and that's the other thing. After those, uh, after the three ministries of, after the three years of ministry, uh, mostly in Galilee, um, G, uh, Peter recognizes Jesus as Messiah, and Jesus tells them about the fact that he came to die. And that was hard for them to understand. They didn't understand it at first, but he came. He died for us because. Uh, so it was necessary for someone to pay the penalty of death that man had brought upon himself. And that's what Jesus did. But he didn't just do that. He rose again. Death couldn't hold him. He rose again to give us new life and to enable us to be able to please God. And so um, what, what we see in the Old Testament, the uh, turning away from God, uh, is, and then God working with Abraham and Abraham's family to uh, prepare a people through whom the Messiah could come. We see that fulfillment in uh, the New Testament, but it's different than the Jews were expecting. They, this, this man, Jesus, died for us and rose again to give us new life. And, um, and that is the um, essence of, of what uh, the New Testament is about. Um, a few more things about the New Testament. It's, uh, you know, uh, in most religions, you're born into them. Christianity is absolutely unique. You don't inherit Christianity. You don't, you're not born into it. Um, you have to choose it. You have to decide for yourself, you're going to follow Jesus. So you have to hear the message and you have to respond. And when you do, uh, the baptism brings you into this new community, this the body of Christ. Um, and 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 we're act, it acts, it's actually a very important thing that we are um, deeply connected in this new community. That's something hard for us individ, individualistic Westerners to understand. So in Christianity, the individual is important. He has to make the decision if he's going to follow Jesus. But that decision plants us into a community where we have responsibility to others and they have responsibilities to us to help us grow in this life of following Jesus. And we are told that um, there are many that claim the name of Christ, but Christ is going to say, I didn't know you. This has to be a true decision of the heart that uh, that follows through because of the grace God gives us. It's uh, Everything is by grace, but God expects us to freely choose to follow Jesus. So um, I would say that all of both the Old Testament and the New, all of this answers to the desire, the the hope that humans have in themselves and this yearning that they have. Now, some people, because of uh, how deep they've gotten into sin or because of the kind of uh, maybe uh, harm that's been done to them, maybe they don't want to open their hearts. But this is something that's in them, I think. And it's our job to help them see that. And I would just hope that our lives as Christians and our actions um, aren't a cause of the rejection of 
Jesus or the rejection to hear what God has done in the Old Testament and in the New to bring us new life through through Christ. Now, the Christian grows in his in maturity. Um, it's a gradual process. Uh, um, as we grow, we start to see things in our lives that uh, drag us down. And God has told us to put off and to put on, put off those old things and put on the life of Christ. He does that by giving us grace, by giving us his own life. I don't think this is ever finished in this world. Um, it's going to, uh, it's going to be finished at the um, resurrection, the general resurrection of the dead. Uh, there's more that I could say, but I think I want to stop here and uh, let those uh, see if there's any thoughts or questions. Um, but my, my main point would be that God has made humans in a certain way, and they try to meet this need either by myths or by uh uh, neat stories that they come up with or by a worldview that uh, they de develop. Um, so let's say the Marxist worldview. But I think that that's, and then sometimes it's uh, other, other religions, Islam, uh, Zoroastrianism, they have their own uh, scripture. Uh, there's a reason God, God has put this yearning in us. And I, I, I think what we need to learn to do is we need to learn, first of all, what is this story? Some of us Christians don't get it very well. It's not just simply, um, I, I believe in Jesus and I, and that's, that's it. I mean, it, it, that's the core. But uh, if we actually understood the Old Testament and how it leads up to the new, and then how the new uh, shows us how God has worked through this human being, Jesus, who is also divine, um, there is a, I just think that the way God has made us will, um, if we, if we learn how to present this in a way that it will draw people, it will woo them. They will want the true story. Um, they, uh, Islam, you know, is very, uh, it's not, it's, uh, it's very philosophical. I mean, that's what they're trying to be, uh, rational or the, the Quran is an attempt to rationally expect, uh, explain, um, humanity and the world and what our situation is and how God works in it. But that God there is, is very distant. In Islam, you cannot call God father. And, and um, God is not a God of love. This is, this, I'm not saying this as an outsider. This is what a Orthodox Muslim would, would admit. But there's that yearning in every person's heart that when they hear the message, the true message, when they hear it well presented, that, I think will be will will um, uh, open their lives, and, but we've got to be the kind of messenger that is winsome. That's why I read that part from uh, Peter. Uh, we have to be a person that actually shows this is what happens. We're not perfect. Uh, we need to be able to tell the people that that we're talking to. We're not perfect, but uh, God's at work in our lives. And here's the story that he's working out in my life. I think, now Now I'm not saying there's not a time for a polemical approach, but um, I think we this is an approach that would be helpful with an awful lot of people. And uh, they're gonna bring up some questions. And, and in, with those questions, I think you maybe would want to have uh, the ability to answer in what I might call more polemical or more debate uh, oriented way uh, because because they're going to have some questions but um, the heart I think is what we have to focus on uh, I think that's what the old and new testament focus on and um, after we after we've uh, kind of 
set the hook in in the unbeliever's heart, then yeah, we can answer some of the more um, intellectual questions. But uh, I'm just trying to offer that um, if we see the story and see how God has worked in the world and make that a big part of how we present uh, what God has done in our own lives, that I think um, that it will have a, a powerful effect. So that's where I'll, I'll end at this point. All right. Well, thank you, brother, for sharing. Um, that was very well presented. I enjoyed that. And uh, I enjoyed your uh, reference to First Peter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and humble mind. It, yeah. First Peter is one of my favorite epistles in the New Testament. And uh, that very that passage there very well presents how we as believers can uh, represent this story. And uh, yeah, I appreciated uh, you taking us on a journey and showing us um, this fascinating story of God working with his people and through people on earth. And, and they're, they're, I was going to say almost always, but probably always flawed human beings. And they have <laughs> these, uh, these problems and yet God works with them with where they're at. And we can see, oh, the yes. You can see the patience of God and, and and how he works with us where we're at and the children of Israel. He, he brought them on this journey. And uh, um, I, th I think that comes out in, in your book as well, how God brought the children of Israel to a place where he could they could see that uh, war wasn't an answer for overcoming evil. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so another thing that stood out to me is the personal side of God that you talked about of him visiting us, um, his creation um, in a human body and, and uh, how, how personal that makes him and how that is a message that will definitely appeal to the person who doesn't understand these things and, and the story of God. And uh, also that point you made here towards the end that our lives shouldn't be the thing that turns people away from God, that turns them off of, of their of their belief of God and his character and, and sort of mars his image. And, and that's a very, very good challenge for us to think about. How we live is how we portray God. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Um, what are some ways we can help the skeptics and the people who are seeking and searching to see the loving nature of God in spite of all the suffering we see in this story through the thousands of years and also suffering that is present today. What, what are some things we can help them to overcome that? Because that, that thing, that, that thing of suffering is always something that people have a hard time reconciling with a loving God. Well, one of the things I mentioned was that this, uh, the Old Testament is remarkable, uh, the New Testament too, but the Old Testament is remarkable because it's very honest. And, um, uh, you know, uh, so I think that's one issue. And the other issue is God is a God of love and he uh, made this world to share his love and to give us the opportunity to be lovers. And I don't know how to think about love in God. I don't think what I'm going to say applies to God. But humans need free will to love. If you were a, a, a robot and I uh, programmed you to say you love me, 
that's not love. You know, I, uh, but if you freely uh, are willing to take the good and the bad, uh, that's love. And, and that's what we see with Adam and Eve. Um, God wanted them to freely choose him. The early church, by the way, made a big deal about this, that, that the first, our first parents freely chose to turn away from God and listen to Satan. Jesus has done everything we need, but we still have to exercise our free will to love God, to say yes to what he did. So um, I, I bring that as kind of a, um, an opening to say that um, love requires free will. Free will is a risk yeah. and God risked it. And God, like I said, the Old Testament is saying, is telling us a true story, all the things, the warts and everything. And if what I'm saying about love is true and that it requires free will, then it requires a world like we have where where, where um, pain, where we can inflict pain on each other. We can turn away from God. We can dislike each other. And, um, and uh, I don't, I think if you didn't have that kind of world, we would have to be robots. Yeah. And I don't think anybody wants to be a robot. So um, I, I think that, the world has to have a certain form. It has to work in a certain way. And that certain way is going to bring pain. But the, but then to, to fully answer what you said, uh, going back to Peter, we have to be these winsome people that will, will, will um, embrace the person that's hurting. Um, one of the big issues right now today is um, this, uh, the way the world is looking at sexuality. And um, that's scaring some of us. And um, I think some of us don't have the, some of us Christians don't have the right response. I think we have to be willing to put our arms around somebody like that. And it, it can be scary, but um, that we need to put, we need to absorb that pain. We're, we're Jesus agents on the earth. We need to absorb that pain so that that person can understand we don't agree with him but we love him. So uh, this is a world full of pain. And right now, one of the big ways it's showing is through this absolutely fully confused understanding about what it means that God has made us sexual beings. And uh, that will be a really big thing. Um, how do you respond to that person? Uh, um, some of us will, will find th these kinds of issues in our own family. And maybe there it would be easier for us to to try to love that person, but, but we have to love the um, aggressive advocate of, of the wrong view of sexuality. We have to love those people. I want to tell real quickly a story. Uh, one of my former students became a doctor and while he was in med school, the med school required them to uh, sit in and hear uh, people talk about their lives. And one of them was a trans person. And after the man talked, uh, this former student of mine went up to him and he said, I love you. And I, I, I respect you. I don't know everything he said, but he, um, you know, basically said, I love you. I respect you, but I can't approach, uh, this issue the way you're saying we have to, uh, the, the person said, well, you're wrong and you're going to have to change. But what I really was excited about was the way this former student, he, he wasn't afraid to go and tell him, I love you and I'm not going to say these things. Um, so we need to learn uh, to be truth speakers, but also do it in a loving way. 
so I'm thinking mostly about the pain that we inflict on each other. Um, but yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, thank you. That that addresses it very well. And and this idea, we have to get to the root of this uh, way of God creating us with the free will and, and the option to love, and then also see the consequences when we choose to mm -hmm. not to hate and to turn away from this way. Anyway, very good. Um, I'll open it up now to anybody. Um, present us your comments or questions. Um, or present our brother here with them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for sharing. So just a question, and I would be interested in hearing if you agree with um, with this um, statement that most people, uh, when they say that they disbelieve the scriptures, it seems to me they don't really disbelieve the scriptures so much as what they think are the scriptures. Yeah. Or as it pertains to Christianity, um, mm -hmm. they're arguing against like a caricature of Christianity yeah. rather than the true Christianity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, yeah, all right. Uh, so the question might be, um, there, there's still people who reject Jesus, right? Even yeah. even that being the case. But um, is our real problem then communicating the real truth, the real Jesus, the real Christianity to people? That's, that's kind of like what we're up against. Yes. And that's one reason I put the emphasis on we're his we're his representatives here on this earth. We're his hands and feet. We're his body. Um, and uh, people have either been hurt by uh, someone who has approached them in a in a more um, in a in a way that they felt unheard or abused somehow. And um, we need to um, show, excuse me, show them God's love. Um, I just uh, think of a little story many, many years ago when I lived in Western Maryland, uh, my family roots are in the DC area and I had been down visiting family and I was coming back and I saw two hitchhikers and I picked them up. Uh, this is when I was a young man and these were two fellows about my age and I picked them up and they were soccer players. And I don't remember what school they were at, but they were going to uh, Frostburg uh, State College to play against this, the Frostburg team. So I picked them up and um, that, it was right on the way uh, to my house. And I, uh, the one guy in the back fell asleep. And the guy in the front, he and I started talking about, he saw my Bible on the, on the dashboard. <laughs> so we started talking about it. And um, he was very open. Eventually, the guy in the back woke up, heard what we were saying, and he was very, very negative about uh, Christianity and the Bible, the message of the Bible. And I actually asked him, have you read it? Well, no. And then I told him a few of, he, he told me what he thought it was about. And then I told him uh, what, uh, just, just in a summary, uh, what uh it's actually about and he was a little bit amazed the other fellow was just right on he was he was very open but uh the the man in the back kind of illustrates how he did not know the scriptures he hadn't even read them he, he admitted that but he had an impression i don't know where he got it from but he had an impression and um i i think i probably had to admit yeah there are wars and things like that but let me tell you the, the thrust of the scriptures. And it at least seemed to um, help him be a little more open. He wasn't terribly open. as He wasn't open like the young man in the front seat. So I, uh, that for me would be a good illustration. There are a lot of people out there who are yearning 
and, and haven't been hurt. There are also people that either they've been hurt or they just heard the, the untruth and it has kind of put a barrier. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, um, when they see a group of people living together and trying to uh, work together and, and even work through um, disagreements in a good way, when they see that, it starts to draw people and, and open them up to, well, what is this really about? amen jesus himself said that uh, that people will know us by our love for each other mm-hmm. so true all right well it's uh quarter after seven i think we'll wrap this up do you uh um want to lead us in closing prayer yet brother stephen and then uh, we'll close yes okay let's pray heavenly father we thank you for um this the fact that you have come into this world uh, in various ways, uh, you helped your people. You started your people through Abraham. You uh, brought them out of Egypt. You took them into exile to teach them more, uh, and you enabled uh, them to be the people that the Messiah could come through. And through Jesus, through coming as a man, you have shown us uh, love to us, and you've shown us uh, the way back to you, and you've done in him what we need. We thank you for this, Father, and help us to um, become the people who are gentle and winsome and lovers and uh, even lovers of our enemies. Help us to become those kind of people and so that others are drawn not just to ourselves, but drawn through the church to you. Um, And we confess our weakness And so we need you and your grace and your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. So um, Strength to Strength is a a virtual meeting here Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. Eastern time. And our website is strengthtostrength.org. Our next meeting is going to be how to uh, answer Catholic and Orthodox claims part two. We already had part one by Lynn Martin. So uh, we welcome you back to that. And uh, in the meantime, go with God and uh, God bless your day. Amen. Bye. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. 